Parkinson's is a cruel disease. While mainly associated with older people, it can strike at any age. For those affected, it can feel overwhelming if they don't have the right information and support. There are support groups around the country under the auspices of Parkinson's UK. There is considerable support here in Edinburgh. The university is a centre for research into the disease. Ken Bowler, who lives in Portobello, was a professor of physics at Edinburgh University, but he was diagnosed 12 years ago. Being the sort of man he is, he got heavily involved in both the support groups and, indirectly, the research. Since most people probably don't know what Parkinson's is, I asked him to explain. Parkinson's is a progressive neurodegenerative disease, which means it starts small and eventually gets worse. It's the product of the death of certain types of cells in the brain. There's an area in the centre of the brain called the substantia nigra, which produces cells that generate dopamine. Dopamine is a chemical messenger that carries messages from one part of the brain to other parts of the brain or to the rest of the body. And in Parkinson's disease, the cells that produce this essential carrier begin to die. Nobody knows why. Nobody knows how the process has started. There are some speculations as to why. All that's known about Parkinson's really is that it's progressive, that these cells continue to die out. And the typical symptoms of Parkinson's are the motor symptoms, which means that your movement is affected. So people start to develop a tremor. That's one possible. Not everybody has a tremor, but it's a very common symptom. Stiffness, muscular stiffness, slowness of movement, and there are also a whole host of so-called non-motor symptoms, which include loss of the sense of smell, constipation, disturbed sleep patterns, violent dreams, and the list goes on. Just give us an idea of just how prevalent this condition actually is. Well, the current statistics are in the UK that about one person in 500 has Parkinson's disease. Blimey, that's a lot. It is a lot, yes. It's typically a disease of old age in that traditionally it's been thought that Parkinson's only occurs in people over the age of 60 or 62 or thereabouts, but there's an increasing number of young Parkinson's patients diagnosed, some as, uh, as early as 20 But you're saying that you don't know what causes it, so there's perhaps no clear understanding of why younger people are actually acquiring this condition. That's correct. A relatively small fraction of cases of Parkinson's are associated with a genetic precondition. So there is a genetic form of Parkinson's. In extreme cases, it can affect entire families, but that's very unusual. The more common form of Parkinson's disease is referred to as idiopathic or sporadic, which just means we don't understand what the hell we're talking about. (laughs) So if if someone is diagnosed with this, what sort of support? Because if we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people, what sort of support do they have nationally, locally? Not as nearly as good as we would like, obviously. If you're lucky, you'll live in an area where there are Parkinson's specialist nurses as well as neurologists, consultant neurologists, who are able to diagnose the condition. In my case, I was diagnosed by a consultant at the Western General, and then I was referred to Edinburgh and Lothian Parkinson's nurses for further information and support. So for the whole of Lothian region, there are just three nurses who have specialist skills in Parkinson's. Treating, looking after how many? I don't know what the total caseload they have 
is. I could find out, but I don't have the number at hand. But it must be thousands if you're talking yes. in terms of one in 500 people. That, yes. yeah, that is a big caseload they have to. It is. Can I ask you a personal question? How has it actually affected you? Because you are an academic, you've had a very bright career. It must be very frustrating for you. It is indeed. And it's only relatively recently that the symptoms have started to become more troublesome to me. Uh, For example, my gait is affected. That's a very common problem in Parkinson's, that your gait deteriorates as the disease progresses. One interesting fact about Parkinson's is by the time the motor symptoms appear, you've probably lost something like 60 or 70% of these dopamine-producing cells in your brain. So you're already well down the road. Let's look at the research that's going on, because there is an organisation called Parkinson's UK that you are actually personally involved with. That's correct. Parkinson's UK is the principal charity in the United Kingdom for people with Parkinson's. And it has two aspects to it, I would say. One is the patient information and care. They provide a mine of information, a helpline, all sorts of things to help people with Parkinson's cope with their everyday lives. But it's also a research-focused organisation, which has a research budget of about £5 million per annum that is spent on funding grants to academics. So people in the universities and medical research council institutions will apply to Parkinson's UK for grant money to fund research into Parkinson's. Now, you're involved as a lay assessor for some of those applications, is that right? Yes, that's correct. After I was diagnosed, I wanted to know more about the condition and my natural curiosity got the better of me. Um, I volunteered to become what's called a lay grant reviewer for Parkinson's UK. That means I'm one of several people to whom grant applications are sent for their assessment of the quality and match of that proposal against the criteria that a charity has for its work. So I'm not expected to judge these proposals on their scientific merits. That's done by external referees and the, the input from the external referees and the lay grant reviewers is pulled together at an assessment phase called the Research Assessment Panel, which meets annually for the big grants and makes funding decisions about which ones to support and which ones it can't support. Now, you also chair a local Parkinson's group here in Edinburgh. Tell me about that. In 2010, something called the World Parkinson Congress was held in Glasgow. Um, This is a meeting that happens every three years, and it's rather special because it's a conference, a congress, at which there are present researchers, healthcare professionals, and people with Parkinson's and their carers. So it has these three aspects brought together in one forum, which is pretty unique, actually, and is very beneficial because there's a lot of cross-fertilisation between those three groups. So the Glasgow meeting in 2010 provided us here in Edinburgh with an opportunity to go to it because it was geographically close by. So we sent a group of branch members across to hear what was being said. After the Congress had finished, we decided we would put on a symposium locally at which the people who had been to the Congress would report back on the things that they had found interesting. So that was held in 2011 out at King's Buildings in the laboratory space then occupied by a scientist called Dr Tilo Kunath 
who is featured very heavily in our activities since then. At that meeting, it was so successful, we decided we would try and repeat the experience and expand our activities by forming a research interest group. That is, the members of the branch who had an interest in research into Parkinson's would meet from time to time in order to collaborate with one another, to invite external speakers to come and talk to us, and generally promote research into Parkinson's. You mentioned Dr Kunas. He's now based at the Royal Infirmary, and he has actually been a key figure in research into Parkinson's disease, its causes and its impacts. Tilo Kunat was a Parkinson's senior research fellow. That is, he was on a fellowship funded by Parkinson's UK, but held in the University of Edinburgh. And he's now working in something called the Scottish Centre for Regenerative Medicine, part of a medical research council unit. His particular interest is in the area of stem cells and the development of possible therapies for Parkinson's by cell replacement in the brain to compensate for the missing dopamine-producing cells. Which sounds exciting, but probably way down the line a bit. It's quite a long way from general clinical acceptance because it has to go through all kinds of tests and trials, as you can imagine, but... There are trials taking place, even as we speak, of these cell replacement therapies. In fact, there have been experiments in the past, most notably by Patrick Brundin, who was a speaker at one of our annual conferences. He did cell transplants into patients, sometimes with astonishingly good results. One of the interesting things is that there is other research, apparently completely unrelated which suddenly gives people hope that there actually might be a chance of identifying Parkinson's at a much earlier stage. Can you tell me a bit about that? One of the holy grails of Parkinson's research is to try and find what are called biomarkers for the disease. That is, tests or signals that indicate, yes, this person has Parkinson's. See, at present, the disease is only diagnosed by an experienced neurologist who does various tests on you, makes you walk up and down the corridor, shakes your hand. It's all done by how the neurologist perceives your bodily reactions to stimuli. So it's not a biological test as such. So we would like very much to have a test where we can say, for sure, this person has Parkinson's, preferably at an early stage, so that intervention is then possible. Now, it might not seem a logical association to people outside, but there's been work done in terms of Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease, that's the human version of mad cow disease, which is actually giving you some hope that this kind of marker may actually be potentially available. Yes, another local researcher, Dr Alison Green, works in the CJD surveillance unit at the Western General Hospital. This is a national unit that monitors the prevalence and occurrence of CJD. She developed a technique for finding out whether people were infected with CJD by taking samples of cerebrospinal fluid and applying some rather bizarre techniques involving shaking samples at various critical frequencies. Nevertheless, the test turns out to be invaluable. And very recently, she's developed a similar test for Parkinson's. And it's probably the first example we've got of a genuine biomarker. It's early days, but it looks very promising. There are plans also to turn Edinburgh into a national hub, in a, perhaps a virtual hub, but a national hub for Scotland in terms of research into Parkinson's. 
Indeed, there are ambitions amongst the local healthcare professionals and scientists working in Parkinson's to put their efforts together in what's called a virtual Parkinson's Research Centre. So it will draw together people working in various disparate parts of the university and other institutions in the Edinburgh area into a more coherent and focused activity on Parkinson's. Ultimately then, are you optimistic that as we move into hopefully a brighter new future, that there will be potentially even cures? Yes, I think a cure is not beyond the bounds of possibility. There's some considerable excitement at the moment about a technique called drug repurposing. This is where you take a drug that has been clinically approved, it's been through all the trials and approved for clinical use for other conditions. For example, there's a type 2 diabetes drug called exenatide which is currently undergoing clinical trials at University College London, which apparently has beneficial effects on people with Parkinson's. The the route through to final use of this substance for Parkinson's is a, a long and rocky one. There's lots of trials and tests to be done. But nevertheless, the indications are very promising, and it's not the only one. There are several other drugs in this sort of area. You may have seen on the BBC a couple of weeks ago, there was a headline about new drugs for Parkinson's, which was another example of drug repurposing. It's a group at the University of Leicester in England, led by Professor Giovanna Malucci. And they've identified two drugs, one of which is an antidepressant, which apparently have what are called neuroprotective properties. That is to say, they actually apparently prevent dopaminergic cells from dying off. So it's a way of slowing down the progression of the disease. That much progress would be a major triumph if we could slow down the rate at which Parkinson's attacks the victims. Because up until now, there is no cure. 50 years ago, the drug levodopa was discovered, and that's the principal treatment for Parkinson's still. But it's only a symptomatic treatment. That is to say, it alleviates the symptoms of the condition. It doesn't actually attack, attack the disease itself. And that's the best we can do so far. So there's very much scope for finding some drug which will slow down the rate of progression of the disease, if not stop it in its tracks. The more optimistic people who work in stem cell areas believe that a cure might be possible, that we can replace the deficiency of dopaminergic cells in the brain by transplanting laboratory-grown cells to do the job. So there is hope so... That is the message that we leave our listeners. So, Ken Bowler, thank you very much indeed for your time. Pleasure.